1 John, it says this, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And you must know, everybody say, you must know, that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? Bible tells us who a liar is. It tells us the very definition of what a lie is. Who is a liar? Those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They are antichrist who deny the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Father does not, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's an intensely bold statement right there. Basically, those he, what the Bible is saying is if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you're a liar. And that's a harsh thing. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Jesus in pop culture. I'm going to look, show you Jesus in the cults. I'm going to show you Jesus in religions. And I'm going to give you some quotes from the famous, the infamous, and the ordinary. And what you're going to see is there's an intensely broad perspective of who Jesus is. And then we're going to go into what the Bible says. And we're going to actually give Jesus a chance to answer for himself. And let him tell you who he says he is. And then lastly, we're going to ask the question, who do you say he is? Because that's the question of questions. While everybody's asking, well, who is Jesus? Who do you think he is? What's your perspective of him? Jesus, in turn, has a question for us. And he says, who do you say that I am? And that question determines a lot. We good? You close? You got the slides? You don't have to do the video. Not yet. One minute. Mauricio's awesome. I just want to let you know how awesome Mauricio is. This guy, yes. He does it behind his back. I give him stuff like on the fly, and he's back there like multitasking, you know, doing all this stuff. And I, 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 uh, I definitely put him to the test on some of this stuff. So, And he actually coached me through... Uh, Pro presenter. We good? All right, put the one up with the cartoon characters. If you get to that slide. Now, oh, you've got the video. Hold the video right there. You ready for the video? Okay. Do we got audio? Okay. So we're going to look at this first. So who do the ordinary? So we're going to look at some perspectives. This is kind of a man on the street interview. And it's going to be, it's about a minute and a half. And what it is, is you're going to hear some, they're going to, they're going to tell you who they think Jesus is. Go ahead. Roll it. Like some higher power or? No, I don't. 
So there's some quotes from The Ordinary. And what's interesting is I spent a lot of time, I had to watch a lot of these videos to try to find one that was going to fit. And some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. But just, it's just, when you watch them, you just start getting grieved in your heart, like how people, what their perspectives are of Jesus and how far from him people actually are. Even Christians don't really know who they are, who he is. Some people, they believe that if they're just good and they follow the Jesus way of life, then maybe, just maybe, they'll be saved. Then maybe, just maybe, they'll be born again. We actually have pastors that are teaching now that Jesus, well, Jesus didn't really come to die for sin. He came to teach us a way of living. And if you'll live according to the way of living, it's the best life now. Is it? That's not why Jesus came. All right, so go to the slides with, uh, so we're going to look at Jesus. So here we have Jesus. He's very controversial. He's very popular. And he seemingly can't be avoided by culture. He shows up everywhere. He's been in South Park as the top one, fighting terrorists. He showed up in Family Guy as a dude who worked at a record store. Dog the bounty hunter. He prays to Jesus. Jesus, let us catch the fugitive. Jesus, let us cuff the fugitive. Let us taser the fugitive. Let us smoke a cigarette with the fugitive. And then let us tell the fugitive that you love him, Jesus. Then we have Jesus in pop culture again. We have, we have shirts like Jesus is my homeboy, which is a very popular item with celebrities like Ashton Kutchner, uh, uh, Sandberg, Andy Sandberg. Uh, Madonna has worn that shirt. So is Pamela Anderson. So Jesus shows up in pop culture. He's been in songs, recent songs. Kanye West, Lady Gaga, uh, what else we have? R.E.M., Depeche Mode, all reflect him or say something about him. And they all have an opinion about him. Next slide. Here's some quotes for you. Mahatma Gandhi said, I cannot say that Jesus was uniquely divine. So again, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. He was as much God as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or Zoroaster. So Jesus to Mahatma Gandhi is just one of many. Fidel Castro says he's a good communist. I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and those, that, uh, those of that symbol of that extraordinary figure, Jesus Christ. Good communist. Oprah Winfrey. There's our cultural philosopher. There cannot possibly be one way to God. You think she's a Christian, you're completely in another planet. Look within yourself and find God from within. Find your God consciousness. That is God. As long as your way of life brings you to the same point, it just doesn't matter. Okay? The liberal emergent offspring pastor, Rob Bell, says this. What if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry? An archaeologist, he writes books such as Love Wins. He writes books such as Velvet Elvis. Some of you will be familiar with that. And they find Larry's tomb and they do DNA samples and they prove beyond a shadow of doubt that the virgin birth is just a myth. Does it really matter? Jesus came to teach us the best way to live. Lots of confusion about who Jesus is. Lots of declarations about who Jesus is. Lots of opinion about who Jesus is. In the cults, if you were to ask a New Ager, they would say this, and this would be people like Deepak Chopra, 
chakra, whatever his name is, can't pronounce his name, but he's a new ager, and he reflects this state of this, this idea. Jesus is nothing more than a state of consciousness. He's a state of being that reflects our God reality. We're all God, like Oprah. Just got to look within, find the God within, and reflect the God within. To a Baha'i, Jesus is a prophet. He's inferior to Muhammad or Baha'u'llah. To a Buddhist, Jesus was an enlightened man, but he certainly is not the God man. To a Christian scientist, Jesus is not God. Direct quote from their founder. To Islam, Jesus is one of many prophets, but he's lesser than Muhammad. If you were to ask a Mormon, a Mormon would tell you that he's the half-brother of Lucifer, and he's a created being. To a Jehovah's Witness, Jesus is the Archangel Michael. To a Scientologist, this is my favorite, Jesus is an implant forced upon a Thetan more than a million years ago. You say, Kevin, can you explain that? No. <laughs> Number one, I don't do drugs. <laughs> my, my psychotic imagination only goes so far. But as you can see, there's lots of opinions about Jesus. And so who does Jesus say he is? This is a great quote. And I was reading to recently this week about this guy and a uh, crazy story, which I won't get into, but I was reading about this guy and he loved to come out and say that Jesus never said he was God. Really? Well, that is an extreme position of ignorance. And clearly, I would say to you, as Jesus told the religious teachers of his day, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. You neither understand the things that you say nor you understand the power behind the things that you say. It's a statement of just complete and pure ignorance. When Jesus is speaking in the Gospels, which is where we get the clear record of who he says he is, he is speaking a language to a culture. And so to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand the language and the culture to whom he is speaking. He is speaking to a culture that was raised in the text. They were raised in the Bible. This is a, he spoke to the Jew. He came to exclusively to the Jew, the ones to whom he had committed his word to for over 1,500 years. He came and said, Lo, I come, and what is written of me in the volume of the books. So he came to testify of the revealed word. He came to identify himself as the revealed word. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to testify that he is the word of God. And he came to testify first and foremost to a people that understood the word of God. And so while to us it seems as if he's using cryptic language, when you read what Jesus says, there's no cryptic language at all. Because when he said it to them, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Jesus says he's God. I'm going to give you about six, maybe seven statements of what how he reveals himself from God number one he says he came down from heaven he didn't say I went into heaven that's what most of your religious teachers tell you they'll say well I had a you know Muhammad ascended into heaven you know a couple of other uh, cults and religious writers will say I went up into heaven Jesus didn't go up into heaven he came down from there in other words that is his origin point that is his point of origin I came down from there John 6 38 no one comes down from heaven except God Jesus said, I came down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of whom who sent me. So to understand the gospel, we have to understand a triune God, a father, a son, and a spirit. And we have to understand this concept of mutual submission. 
There's mutual submission of the Father to the Son. There's mutual submission of the Son to the Father. And there's mutual submission of both of those to the Spirit and the Spirit to both of those. They're in a relationship of mutual submission, yet they're totally equal. So the Son willingly submits himself beneath the will of the Father in order to fill the will of the Father. The Father willingly submits himself beneath the will of the Son and, and gives all power unto the Son. The Spirit willingly submits himself unto Christ. Jesus willingly submits himself unto the Spirit. So if you want to understand God, you have to understand the concept of mutual submission. Equality with mutual submission. So Jesus came down from heaven, not as a lesser being, but in the full form of God, as a man. Why? Because he submitted himself under the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? The Father wanted his children back. The Father wanted his creation to give his creation an opportunity to return to him. So number one, he says he came down from heaven. And when he said this, they all start freaking out. They're like, what's this guy talking about? He's speaking blasphemy. When the word blasphemy is used in the New Testament, it's a big word. But when that word is used in the New Testament, it means someone is profaning God. In particular, they're calling out inequality with God, which is what they accused Jesus of doing. Number two, Jesus says he not only came down from heaven, he is the son of man. So Christian, what I'm teaching you here this morning is of the utmost importance. Jesus is not a good man. He is the God man. Jesus is not one of many. He is the one and only. And you as a believer have got to reconcile that fact within your heart. He is not just the best way of life. Jesus didn't come to teach you a way of life. He came to die on a cross, carry your sins in order to bring you out of darkness and into light. And yes, there's an aspect of following him, but without repentance, that following him means nothing. First Corinthians says, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, God is love, have not Christ, it profits me nothing. Serving the poor doesn't get you into heaven. Son of man, he says he's the son of man. You're like, well, what's that all about? 80 times he refers to himself as the son of man. It's his favorite title. Jesus always refers to himself, the son of man came, the son of man came, the son of man came. He refers to himself as the son of man. What does that, what does that mean? Well, the first aspect of it, and then we'll get into the prophetic aspect of it, the first aspect of him being the son of man is that he identifies with you and me. Isn't that a beautiful? Jesus could have called himself anything he wanted to call him, but yet he said, I've come to identify with you. I've come to lower myself and look you eye to eye. I've come to bring myself beneath you in order to bring you up. That's the point. And so Jesus wanted people to be able to approach him. He wanted people to know that God is accessible and that he had come to make God accessible. And so he refers to himself as the son of man. I'm like you. You can come to me. I have, you have an approaching point with me. But the greater, the greater aspect of it, and to the Jew, they would know exactly what he was saying. And when he used the name Son of Man, they knew exactly what he was saying. They freaked out every time he said it. Every time he said it, there's two, two phrases he uses, Son of Man, and then he uses the word I am. And when he uses Son of Man and I am, they freak out. And they want to stone him. And they want to kill him. And why do they want to stone him? And why do they want to kill him? Because they know what he's saying. Son of Man is a title given to us first and foremost from the book of Daniel. Daniel's having a vision. Prophets were seers. Daniel's having a prophetic vision. You can't get away from spiritual encounter in the Bible. We can try to erase it. We can try to color it. We can try to, you know, try to fit it all into our modern context, but it doesn't fit in our modern context because it's spiritual encounter. So yes, Daniel's having a vision. And what is he seeing? He sees a vision in the night. 
And he sees on the clouds of heaven, there appears as one looking like the son of man. So first of all, there's a, there's a, there's a being he's seeing coming riding on clouds. Well, that doesn't seem ordinary. And this being is in the appearance of a man. And he comes before the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and he presents himself before the Father. And the Father gives to the Son of Man dominion, glory, kingdom of sovereign power that all peoples, all nations, in all languages would worship him. Well, that sounds like God to me. Because nowhere else in the Bible is, they called, is, is there worship allowed except unto the divine. Angels are not allowed to be worshiped, nowhere. Yet the son comes before the father. Daniel is seeing into the future. The son who pays the price, he who descended ascends, comes before the father. And now upon him is all the rights and the glory and the power forever bestowed. That all nations, all languages should worship him. And his dominion is everlasting. That's eternal. That would be God. Which shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7, 13. And so Jesus uses it 80 times. He calls himself the Son of Man. Number three, just to give you some examples who Jesus is, the supremacy of his miracles. And you're like, there's lots of miracle workers. Aren't there some kind of spiritual healers down there in other parts of the world? And, you know, isn't there all this stuff going on? Yeah, there's other, there's other miracles. There's lying signs and wonders, the Bible would call them. But Jesus says, my miracles are supreme. Look at the supremacy of my miracles. If I do not do the works of my Father, then do not believe me. In other words, if I am not manifesting God, then don't have any faith in me at all. That's a whole other story. But if I do, then do not believe me, but believe the works that you see, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me. What is he talking about? He's talking about compound unity. It's the Hebrew word ehad, one. That the Father is in me and I am in the Father. We are one, ehad. Therefore they sought to seize him, but he escaped out of his hand. They're freaking out. They want to kill him. Because he says, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. Well, what did Jesus do? He walked on water, changed water into wine, healed the blind, raised the dead, cleansed lepers, okay? Called down, got coins, money coming up out of the river. You don't have to worry about provision. Jesus is like, just go down to the river. You'll find a fish with money in his mouth. And the supreme miracle of all is his resurrection, which is yet to be duplicated by anybody other than him. So Jesus is basically saying, top that. <laughs> His miracles. Jesus was not crucified for being Mr. Rogers. They didn't kill him because he was feeding homeless people. They didn't kill him because he was a good storyteller. Hey, guys, all gather around. I'm going to tell you some stories about seeds and harvests and about pearls and fields. I'm going to tell you some stories. Kill him. They didn't kill him for being a story maker. They didn't kill him because he fed homeless people. They didn't kill him because he was nice to other people. They killed him because he proclaimed himself to be God. He hung on a cross and his, his sentence in his, uh, was, was for blasphemy. He proclaimed himself to be God. So where does the Bible tell us he's God? Jesus is through the supremacy of his miracles. Oh man, I want to go off on that, but I will not. <laughs> Another time. He said he was God. Okay, they say, oh, he doesn't say he's God. Nowhere in the Bible, this guy was, I was reading this guy this week, he's like, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever say he's God. I'm like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. So the, let me tell you what's going on. Mark 14. So they're like, Jesus is running around, and they're like, let's bring this guy in. We need to question him. We need to find out what he's actually saying. And so the high priest stands up in the midst of them. They arrest him. They bring him in front of him, and they say, do you answer us nothing? 
These men testify against you, but he keeps silent. And the high priest asks him a direct question. Are you the anointed? Are you the son of the blessed one? They knew what that was. Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man. There's the title. They freak out. Okay. Sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the glory of heaven and the clouds of heaven. The high priest rips his clothes, which means he was offended at what he said. And he says, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. So I don't know. That seems pretty clear. Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed? Are you the son of God? Are you the one? The one that we know who is supposed to come? Jesus is like, yep, yeah, that's me. So we, we adjure you by God. We adjure you by you to tell us the truth. Are you the savior? Are you the Messiah? And he said, yeah, that's me. Jesus tells him in another place in Mark, John chapter 8, he says, most assuredly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And they freak out there and they want to get stones and they want to kill him. Well, what's this deal with the word I am? I am is the word Yahweh in the Hebrew. That's the word that they never use. The Hebrews would never use this word. And when they wrote it, they would get a new pen. They never even referred to it. They would call him master of the universe or they would call him other names, but they never even used the word Yahweh particularly ever they would be killed using it in a personal uh, sense like Jesus is doing here. And he says, before Abraham was, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God who spoke to Moses through the burning bush. I'm that God. And they freaked out and they wanted to kill him. The Jews answered him and saying, for, Jesus asked him, he says, so why are you trying to kill me? John chapter 10. They're trying to kill him. And they would always lie to him and say, we're not trying to kill you, when in fact they were. But in John chapter 10, he answers them. He says, why are you trying to kill me? And they say, for a good work, we do not try to kill you. Kill you. Because for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So clearly the culture understood what he was saying. Clearly the people understood what he was saying. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's not a representation of God. He is God. Number five, he can forgive sin. So how do we know Jesus is God? Well, here's number five. He can forgive sin. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, you. And the scribes, who, who was a scribe? Those are those who record the scripture. If the scribes and the Pharisees, scribes were also called lawyers. They were the ones who were to know the word of God. So when the Pharisees were, were, even though the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were the religious leaders to the people, if they had any questions, they would look to the scribe. Okay, so that while the Pharisees and the Sadducees taught the people, the scribes were the experts. And so oftentimes the scribes and the Pharisees or the law, lawyers would, would follow around with each other. So that they would make sure that what they were saying was religiously correct. And so their scribes are there. The scribes are sitting there, those who record the Bible, those who understand the Bible, those who spend their days copying the Bible, those who spend their days studying the Bible, those who have a, a, a very large portions of it memorized. So those who understand the scripture in its depth are listening to him and they say in their hearts, this man speaks blasphemies for who can forgive sons but God alone. That's exactly right. They say Jesus was just a nice person. He never liked to provoke people. Jesus was just a nice person. He never liked to stretch people's thinking. If you don't think Jesus is going to challenge you at the core of your beliefs, you don't know Jesus. If you don't think Jesus is going to try to stretch your faith, you don't know Jesus. If you, don't, if you think Jesus is satisfied with the way you see things, you don't know Jesus. 
He's going to challenge the way he's going to challenge your perspectives. He's going to challenge your beliefs. He's going to challenge what we hold dear if it's outside of what he says. And he's actually going to offend you. <laughs> Loving Jesus would never offend me. He would never make me mad. You know one of his titles is rock of offense? A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So he's what people trip over. And he offends them. Well, what's offensive? You're a sinner. You're lost. Without Christ, you're, you're condemned to an eternal hell. And you will pay the full penalty for all of your sins that you have done against yourself, against your creator, against the creation. How dare you call me that? That offends me. That's the whole point, is to offend you. Jesus didn't come to pat us on the back and stroke our pride and our ego. He came to first bring us low and then build us up. In order for God to build the house, he has to tear it down and build it back up. Root out, pull down, build and plant. That's what he told Jeremiah. He said, this is the work that I do, Jeremiah. I root out mindsets. I root out mentalities. I root out attitudes. I pull down strongholds. I pull down ideas of thinking. I pull down paradigms. I rip it all down until you feel like you know nothing. And once God's got you at the place where you know nothing, that's a good place. You know how many times he's brought me to the place where I know nothing? You know, he couldn't even minister to Job until Job acknowledged that he knew nothing. Job received no ministry. Job thought he had all the answers. And all of his intelligent friends thought they knew exactly who God was until the Lord showed up. And the Bible says Job put his hand over his mouth and he said, I speak as a fool. And only when Job put his hand over his mouth was the Lord able to minister to him. Until Job thought he knew it all, until Job thought he was right, God could not minister to him. God could not bring change in his life. And so the Lord's work in our life is to bring us to the point of where we know nothing. To bring us to the point where we don't have any good ideas. The only good idea we have is Jesus. And when you're at that place, you're in a good place. Come on. It's good. You can clap that out. <laughs> you're like, I don't know if I like this, man. <laughs> He's offensive, but he's beautiful. He's beautiful. It's the beautiful letdown. He offends you in order to make you beautiful. He offends you in order to make you correct. He challenges the way that you think. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And we think that we can have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. Jesus forgives sins. Number six, he judges the world. Ouch. So as far as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So what's happening here? So we have the Father, who is the eternal God, who is the, and the Son and the Spirit, who is the eternal God. Jesus has lowered himself in a position of submission. He has renounced all rights and all attributes of his deity. He still had access to his deity, but he did not choose to access it. He came in the form of a servant and he was completely and holistically reliant upon the Holy Spirit the entire time. Everything he did in this world was in an act of submission through reliance upon the Spirit of God. He did nothing in his divine nature apart from transfiguring. Everything else was by the Spirit's will. Everything else was by the will of the Father. He had to pray to discern the will of the Father. He had to seek the Spirit in order to manifest the kingdom. And guess what that's our job is now. We have to pray to discern the heart of the Father. We have to seek the Lord in order to manifest the kingdom. That's the role of the church now. Jesus did it as a model. 
He's the judge of this world. And so he says, as I've submitted myself to the Father, even though I'm the eternal God and I have life and I'm the author of life and the Bible says he's the creator, well, how can he be a creator if it's saying that the Father gave him back life? Because he renounced it. He gave it to the Father, submitted himself, came as man, and the Father bestowed it back upon him as honor in a new position. Jesus is the eternal representation of humankind in the, in the heavens. He eternally represents humanity there. And by him taking on our nature, now for the first time in all of creation, by him ascending, human beings have a representation in heaven. Human beings actually have access to that world because Jesus became like us in order for us to become like him. Aren't you glad? The Father is granted that the Son would have life in himself. And the Father, even though Jesus had the authority, he laid down the authority, and through obedience, he regained the authority. There's a teaching. Let's just say it together. Through obedience, he regained the authority. And it was given to him to execute judgment because he is given, because he is given to the Son of Man. I says all judgment has been committed to the Son. So when people come before the Lord, they're not going to come before the Father. They're coming before the Son. We stand before Jesus. And he's the one who says, depart from me. I don't know you. Who are you? Well, I, I, I worshipped you in my mind and I heard grandma talk about you and I, I always believed you were a good man. Did not, did, I actually went out and I did, I, did a few, I did the whole, I worked with the homeless ministry a few times. You know, that's, you know I, I, I thought that's who you were. I don't know you. Because it's not that, it's this. It's a submission and a surrender to his lordship. It's a submission and a surrender to him as God. There is no other way in which man is saved, is once we deny the authority of our own heart and say, I'm not God, you are. I will not rule my life, you will. That's what salvation means, that's the transference. And what happens is, is that he imparts life. Yeah, you say, I feel like I'm dying, absolutely. You die to yourself, you give him your death, and you receive his life. You will no longer exist. You become a completely new creation. No one has ever been like you in the world. This is a problem. This is one of the things the enemy tries to do through getting us to believe certain things is he tries to repress our identity. Because if the truth be known of who we really are, the earth would shake. The Bible says we don't even know who we are. We see in a mirror dimly. But when he comes, we'll see him as he is. But the enemy is constantly trying to repress who we are. Scripture tells us in Corinthians that we are completely new beings. It's the same word for something that's made out of nothing, something that's brand new. You never existed before you came to Christ. When you come to Christ, the Bible says you have just become someone. The planet has never known anyone like you. That's what it says. And so our role as Christians is to press in and to begin to understand that identity. And let me just stress this, not the identity that people tell you it is, but the identity that the scripture tells you it is. The church likes to keep everything nice and safe and clean. Nice and safe and clean. Fun for the whole family. Safe for the whole family. And that's great if that's the culture that you want. I, of another nature, prefer the kingdom culture. I, of another nature, prefer the destiny that my father says I can be. The hope that my father says I can be. The future that my father says I can be. I'm a revolutionary, and you should be too, because the one that makes you born again is a revolutionary. 
He came to change the world. Spirit inside out. And that's who we are. So why is he gone? Because he can forgive sin? Because he judges the world? And lastly, because he said he's the only way. And here's what I would say to you. He did not stutter. Jesus didn't stutter. He didn't say, I'm a way. I'm one of many. He didn't say that at all. He looked straight at the people and said, let me tell you what time it is. And here it is. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you say, wait a second, Kevin. I've studied philosophy. You know, I know in philosophy, I know what uh, epistemology is. I know about postmodernism. I've heard of relativism. I know from all of that teaching that there is no truth. Really? Is that true? Just something to think about. <laughs> there are absolutely no absolutes. Jesus says he is the truth. Jesus says he is the way. And Jesus says he is the life. These are unparalleled claims. No one says this. No one has ever said this. And so he takes his disciples. Jesus goes on a journey. And he takes them on this journey. And this will blow some of your perspectives if you're a Christian. Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. The city of Caesar in the region of Philip, the Herod. Which is in this place, the center of the worship of the god Pan. It is where we get the word pantheon. Pan was the chief deity of a multitude of deities. And in the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus takes these good little Jewish boys who have never been to any place unclean, who have never been to any place worldly, who have never been to any place outside of their own little cultural box. He takes them, and in Caesarea Philippi, there's a grove with water, and there's a mountain, and in the mountain, there's all of these little caves or little uh, cubics covered, and they would put the gods in the mountain, and they would do their worship, and they would do their festivals, and they would worship at the pantheon of gods. And Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, the very place where all this is going on. And he looks around and he stands in the midst of all of the gods, the gods of self, the gods of wealth, the gods of power, the gods of success, the gods of pleasure, the gods of whatever you want to be, the gods of laziness, the gods of hopelessness, the gods of depression, whatever the gods were, Jesus set them right in front of it. And he says, in the midst of these, who am I? That's when he asked that question. So if you put it in context when Jesus is asking that question and you put it in context where he's asking that question, it becomes even more significant. In the middle of everything, everything that can be worshiped, including yourself and your will, in the midst of all of it, who am I? And they're all kind of like rocking back in their sandals like, well, I don't know, not really gonna touch it. And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed, the son of the living God. We worship two Jesuses in the church. I don't know if you're aware of that. We worship Jesus the religious, and then there's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the religious has no power. Jesus the religious wants to keep it nice and safe for the whole family. Jesus the Christ comes in power. Jesus the Christ comes in salvation and healing and hope and restoration and redemption and pushes out darkness. It's true, come on, it's true. Peter didn't say you're Jesus the religious. He said you are Jesus the Christ. You are Jesus the anointed. And what did Peter say? What did Jesus say to him? He says, listen, Peter. 
you're not smart enough to figure that out. It's basically what he said. He said, Peter, that didn't come from you, man. That didn't come from you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is revelation. This is revealed knowledge that came only from heaven. And Jesus, he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon that statement right there that you said, I will build my church. So what is the church built upon? It is a, built upon the confession that Jesus isn't a good man. He's the God man. And while he is good, a thousand times over, he is good. He is not just a good person. He is God eternal. And he's not Jesus the religious. He is Jesus the Christ. And so the church is not built upon religion. It is built upon power. It is built upon the anointing of God that is released into the world. That's important to know. Upon the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the one who carries the kingdom of heaven with him, the one who brings heaven to earth, the one who dies and rises again and imparts the same grace to his people. That's what the church is built upon. And so I got one more question for you, and I'm going to read this for you. So who does Jesus say he is? So I'll tell you. I'll summarize it right here. He says, I came down from heaven as God in the form of man. I have never sinned. I have never, I can, I alone can forgive sin. I alone am the only one who will tell you the complete truth. I alone am the way to the eternal God. I am the eternal God. Pray to me and I will hear your prayers and I will answer them. For I have power over life. I have power over death. I have power over heaven. I have power over hell and I have power over eternity. Worship me and I will bring you into my kingdom where I rule and reign as God. For I have final authority over all people, all times, all religions, all sexualities, all perspectives, and all opinions. He's absolute authority. He's God. So my question for you this morning, Christian, do you know that? Do you root your life in that? Do you center your life in that? Do you know who he is? Do you believe he's a good man or do you believe he's a God man? Are you unsure? The Lord would not have you be unsure as to who he is. People say, oh, you Christians are narrow-minded. You don't accept any other perspectives. We're narrow-minded because our Lord is narrow-minded. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. What? Help me. Narrow is the way that leads to life. It's narrow. There's not many ways to God. There's one. It's through Jesus Christ alone. And we need to be able to say that without blushing. We need to be able to say that without stuttering. We need to be able to say that without being ashamed. Buddha didn't die for you. Krishna didn't die for you. Tom Cruise didn't die for you. Jesus Christ died for you. And the Father would not send the Son to be brutally murdered if there was another way. If it was just through good living and happy thoughts, the Son would have not been sent to be brutally murdered. There's one way. And it's through faith in his name. And so if you're here this morning, we're going to close it like this. And I want, what I want to do is I want to affirm you, Christian. I want to challenge you. If you've held any other perspective that Jesus is God, I want to move you from that place. You say, you're trying to convince me? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you've never given your heart to Christ and you say, man, I don't know. If I've ever asked Jesus into my heart. Well, today's your day. This is what salvation looks like. Jesus is the Christ. The first impartation of power comes when we confess him as Lord. He imparts power to you. That's why everything changes, Christian. That's why everything changes, because he's the Christ. 
He's not Jesus the religious. He's Jesus the Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, we're going to close in a prayer. And then I'm going to bless you one more time. And we're going to dismiss. If you've never given your heart to Christ, we're going to pray as a group. And all I simply ask you to do is humble yourself. Humble your pride. Humble your intellect. Humble what you think you know beneath what you surely do not. Become as a child, the Bible says. Innocent, unknowing, unsure, but trusting. If that's you this morning, we're going to open your heart and I want you to pray with us and we're going to pray together. And let's just pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name.